The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about Aaron Rodgers with Joe Rogan and the media's reaction to it. Why the media still cannot admit they were wrong about how they handled the Aaron Rodgers vaccine story. We will also talk about the Packers 53-man roster. Some thoughts there. We will also talk about the Brewers getting hot on the weekend after a really bad Friday. Uh, so we'll talk about that all. Um, and then maybe a little Chuck's Corner on a weekend recap. Just some thoughts, things I noticed uh, from a weekend out and about like usual. Uh, my last few weekends here in the city of Milwaukee. Make sure that you're following along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. Following this weekend, you saw me dismal after the pa- the Brewers, not the Packers, had lost on Friday night. Um, I was in a bad spot. I was down bad, as the kids would say. It was not good. Uh, vibes were really off. I'm glad the Brewers were able to turn it around the other two days. Also went in on Gilbert Arenas on TikTok, so make sure you watch that. I uh, should post that somewhere else as well uh, so you guys can get the full experience. Uh, also, uh, make sure that you are rating and reviewing us if you're already subscribed on Apple and Spotify. We greatly appreciate it. We want to spread the word. Make sure you're sharing this out, telling people what we're all about. Um, I'm getting better at myself. Um, it's not easy to talk about it because I feel like everybody has a podcast. Um, so I'm trying my best to, you know, be like, oh yeah, you know, this is what I do. Here's here's what I'm doing all about. So uh, we're working on it. It's a work in progress. Um, probably something I should have done years ago. Um, hopefully rolling out some paid advertising. Um, and if I do, I'll probably do some introduction uh, podcast, like a I don't know a ten minute podcast about just about who we are, maybe even less. So if you do see that come across your feed, don't be alarmed. It's basically me just trying to entice. Uh, listeners into joining us and why they should join us. Uh, So if that pops across your feed, don't be alarmed. It's for a paid ad campaign. All right, let's get rid of the mumbo jumbo. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers, specifically Aaron Rodgers and vaccines as he met with Joe Rogan for the long-awaited interview between the two. Joe Rogan is the podcast king. Uh, No one's more popular than Joe Rogan. Um, He has an army of fans, and I think they all kind of look the same. They're buff, dot buff guys, ex-military, probably like five nine, five ten, uh, have tattoos, and they're also their wives or girlfriends also have tattoos and look kind of trashy. That's kind of my average Joe Rogan listener. I only assume this because I saw a guy at the Central Standard Distiller yesterday with a Rogan 2024 shirt on, and I just assumed that that's basically Joe Rogan's fan base there in a nutshell, and that's kind of what he looked like, although I'm probably being generous on his height. But that said, Joe Rogan has an importance in our society. Joe Rogan matters in our society. Change happens from Joe Rogan podcasts, and people listen when people pop on to Joe Rogan. So when Aaron Rodgers made his appearance there on Saturday night, uh, which I didn't know Rogan has basically no schedule structure, it was kind of fascinating to see as like, you know, part of my take, it's every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I think that's the same with Bill Simmons, uh, Ryan Rossello right now, Tuesday, Thursday. Rogan kind of doesn't have one. Sometimes he does podcasts every day. Sometimes it's spread out. Uh, Sometimes it drops Saturday night. So I listened to a majority of the Rogers Rogan sit down and they jumped right into the COVID vaccine and Aaron Rodgers not taking the vaccine and everything like that, which made it very easy on the local media because it was a very sensitive topic for them last year. And it still is a sensitive topic because the reaction was not really met with 
let's just say care and grace or admitting that they were fault they were wrong when all of this went down rogers again talked about the immunized comment and mentioned that he was hoping that that would be enough to sort of throw the media off the scent now they see this as deception and we'll talk about this in a second but aaron rogers was basically hoping that that was enough to sort of fan the flames rogers explained how he was getting tested every day how he was wearing a yellow yellow wristband which noted that you were unvaccinated which is kind of wild to think about and also that rogers basically felt very safe and he didn't want to make it a big spectacle he did not want to become a distraction and aaron Rodgers had already been a distraction all all off season with sort of the will he or won't he will he get traded what might happen to aaron Rodgers? and the fact is is that aaron Rodgers tried to use the immunized comment to sort of make sure that nobody followed up that nobody asked him hey are you vaccinated hey you know what do your teams think about it how is our other guys immunized like what what does that exactly mean and no one on the local media asked because the local media here in green bay you know kind of clock in and clock out it's rare that we see deep journalism the last time i think we saw deep journalism was from michael cohen writing the latroy guyon story which was met with kind of shock and awe in the Packers locker room. Josh Sitton, I think, wanted to kick Michael Cohen's ass, even though Michael Cohen was doing his job and reporting, even though it might have been a little bit, you know, it seemed maybe a little TMZ-ish, it still was a story that needed to be out there. So Michael Cohen produced it. Yet the media has said that Aaron Rodgers deceived them. It said that Aaron Rodgers purposely deceived them. And the media was mad. Now, Rodgers has not said anything new, but that didn't stop Tom Silverstein from having a column out. That didn't stop Mike Florio from having a comment out. But in reality, the media didn't do their jobs. And that is simply put, and no one on the media has any accountability to admit that they fucked up. No no one on the media has put their hand up and wrote an op-ed and said, look, we got this story wrong. And, and look, I understand that it's hard to admit you're wrong. I get it, right? We don't like doing it as a society. And some media members could think that it would hurt their credibility to admit that they were wrong about something so major, okay? But at the same time, I think a lot of people, including myself, and I think including Aaron Rodgers, would have a ton of respect if a Matt Schneidman or a Jason Wildey or a Rob Domofsky came out and said, we really needed to be better about the Aaron Rodgers immunized comments. We should have followed up with that. It's not like we had to do it right away. And like, how didn't they ask Matt LaFleur? How didn't they ask Brian Gunacoust? Did they just not want to care? Did they check the box and say, oh, that is just Rodgers being Rodgers, which is totally fair, right? Aaron Rodgers is kind of an interesting dude. He's a unique dude. All of these guys have worked with Rodgers for a long time. And they know his personality. So they decided not to push him on it. And that's what led to this. And then they said, oh, we got deceived. But did you get deceived or did you just do the bare minimum? I understand that I'm a guy just at my desk taping a podcast. This isn't my job. I get it. Okay. I, I understand that. I pushed Tom Silverstein last year on why he didn't follow up. And Silverstein went back with a cunty response about like, oh, do you know how hard it is to follow up? And Aaron Nagler jumped in. And it was like, it was like, look, guys, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job. I'm just saying you fucked up. And all, all you got to do is admit. All you got to do is admit that you were wrong here. 
and you haven't. The reality is that you saw yellow wristbands. How did no one figure out that there were a couple guys that were wearing yellow wristbands? How did no one notice that certain guys had yellow wristbands and certain guys had green wristbands and not raise a caution flag? Even not a caution flag, but like, how did someone ask Brian Goodwin, hey, what do those wristbands mean? Where was that question? No one asked that question. These guys are with these players every fucking day. They are on the field. They saw these players. I don't believe the media room was open. I think they were still doing it on Zoom. So I, I will I will give that to them, right? I will note that, that they weren't in the media room. So maybe they didn't see it up close. But they were at least at practice. How, how did they miss the wristbands? And again, no one follows up with Matt LaFleur. No one asked Brian Gunacus about the immunized comments. So then when it blows up and Rodgers gets suspended because of, not suspended, he has to miss 10 games because of COVID, even though Rodgers basically said 10 games, 10 10 days, excuse me. Rodgers even says like, after 36 hours, I felt great. Like, he's like, I I felt like shit for 36 hours and then I was fine and I was ready to go. Which is really interesting because Rodgers could have played that Kansas City game, right? If we are maybe using the rules that the NFL carries today, although they still have the five-day window for unvaccinated players. So maybe not. And maybe Rodgers wouldn't have been able to play. I don't know. But the media had the story under their nose. They had it under their nose and they blew it. And I think it drives them crazy. They had the biggest story of the sports year. If they were able to uncover that Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated, that even though he said he's immunized, that he's unvaccinated in the grand scheme of things, they could have had the story of the year. They could have had a Pulitzer. But instead, they have to go and say, well, he deceived us. He wasn't honest with us. He was. It wasn't that he wasn't honest with you. He just didn't think you'd understand. If anything, maybe they're also mad because Aaron Rodgers thought they were dumb. Aaron Rodgers didn't feel like giving a full explanation on what immunized meant. Now, if he had sat down with Jason Wildey or he sat down with, with Schneidman or Silverstein, and they were like, hey, walk us through what that means. And he's like, well, really, I'm allergic to mRNA vaccines. And it would cause me an allergic reaction. And my only choice was Johnson & Johnson. And I did the research and Johnson & jo- Johnson seemed very faulty in comparison to Moderna or Pfizer. And so I started taking other, you know, I basically started taking the vaccine and or taking doses of COVID is what he said. And starting to sort of get myself you know, feeling better and doing stuff to prevent me from getting sick, but not necessarily taking the vaccine. So that's why I said that I'm immunized because I'm not just ignoring it. I don't think the vaccines are wrong. Well, he kind of did. But regardless, like he's like, I feel like I've done enough to make myself immune from COVID. And I feel really good about my body. That's all it took. Now, did Rogers feel like that was necessary? No. Because he didn't want to, he didn't want to be a distraction. He didn't want that to be the front and center storyline. The media did because COVID's fucking sold. When anyone's unvaccinated, it is still a story. Like look at the two Cubs pitchers that are going to miss the Toronto series: Adrian Sampson and Justin Seal. They're unvaccinated. That's a story for people, right? Which is crazy, but it still is a big deal. It still matters to people, unfortunately. We live in this dystopian society 
where we have to talk about all of this shit when really it's not that important. I can't believe we're bringing up a dead issue two years later, but it comes back to the fact that the media is still mad at Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has explained that his his relationship with the media has deteriorated. I really think in the conversation that he was having with Rogan about the, the media, I thought he was talking about Jason Willey. I really did. Uh, Jason was pretty strong against COVID, and I respect anybody's opinions. I We're all different, right? There are people who still wear masks in public. There are still people who handle COVID differently even today than I do. Okay, and we're all different. And if I can be tolerable, I hope everybody else is tolerable. If they can respect I'm not wearing a mask, I can respect that they are wearing a mask. So because of that, and I think Jason went pretty hard on Aaron, I think Aaron was disappointed. I think Aaron saw Jason as a quote unquote friend in the media. Now people can say, well, you don't have friends in the media and everything else. I I understand that, right? I get it. That's the, the old big J of it. But Jason and Aaron had a really strong relationship. That was a relationship that mattered. Sorry about my dog in the background. Rogers would almost every year appear on his show with Mark Tauscher. I don't think that's happened this year, and it definitely didn't happen the year before. Aaron Rodgers used to do what he did with Pat McAfee with Jason Wildey. And so I think it has kind of deteriorated. And I hope that Wildey listens to that, and I hope he realizes it's about him because I... I would like to, you know, I think they should make amends. I think Willie should explain to Rogers where he was coming from and say, well, maybe I didn't know that you were getting tested every day and you knew that you were safe and that you knew that you were basically preventing yourself from getting everybody sick. And that if you really think about it, Aaron Rodgers was arguably one of the most protected guys on the field as well as all the other unvaccinated players because they were getting tested every day. Like they and they couldn't do shit. Like they couldn't. They couldn't really go out. They couldn't. They couldn't necessarily spread the disease, and they were held to a different standard. But that standard made them more protected, even though they were. The other thing that I thought was interesting was that Cole Beasley uh, had talked about not having a job. Cole Beasley was famously unvaccinated. Cole Beasley was very good uh, for Buffalo a couple years ago is not on an NFL roster. Nobody signed Cole Beasley. Packers really don't need Cole Beasley. We have two slot receivers, right? But it's Roger's point about how they were trying to castrate and and sort of come down on these unvaccinated players. And you're seeing it right here with Cole Beasley. He's an unvaccinated player who's getting shut out by the NFL, which is fucking crazy. Now is Beasley a little bit of a loudmouth? Yeah. But at the same time, I think Beasley could help probably... 20 to 25 teams and it was ironic to see Tyler Dunn being like how does Beasley not have not have a team and Dunn was also chiming in on the Rodgers stuff because Tyler Dunn obviously and Aaron Rodgers are not necessarily best buds and Dunn has been critical of Rodgers in the past um, and Rodgers has been critical of Dunn it's been a media feud for a long time so it's not surprising that Dunn was against Aaron Rodgers, but if Dunn's wondering why Cole Beasley has a job, just listen to the fucking podcast that Rodgers is exactly what he said. I thought the comments on Percocet were interesting from Rodgers as well, um, a little bit different than the vaccines. Uh, you know, I, it's not a surprise, right? I mean, I think Tortorol has been a thing. I think the fact that they basically handed out this stuff like candy, it's really, it's kind of disappointing to hear. I'm sure the NFL doesn't want to talk about it. But it clearly was a problem. And it clearly, you know, people have developed pain pill addictions 
from what happened in the NFL. And I think we worry about things like CTE with, with former players, but I think we really need to check in on what they're doing to manage pain and how they're doing it. And if they're not doing it with natural stuff and it's, you know, and it's a lot of Percocets and it's a lot of Vicodin and, and all this other shit, like that's a real issue, right? And so hopefully they're doing less of that. Hopefully they're doing more of that, I guess, to preventive and make measures. The NFL won't because they kind of just put their head in the sand and all of this stuff. But regardless, I think that there needs to be at least a check under the hood with the former players in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers will probably meet with the media sometime this week, I'd assume. Um, I don't know. If he doesn't, he will definitely meet next week uh, when they get ready for Minnesota. I think that conversation will be interesting. I'm sure Rodgers will field questions on this. This is not going away. Um, And I'll be curious to hear what Aaron Rodgers says and what questions you do hear from a Tom Silverstein. And will Tom you know, come out pretty hard against Aaron Rodgers. We'll have to see. Uh, that will that'll be the next subplot in this. Unfortunately, a dead story has been awoken by Rodgers. And of course, he had to talk about it with Joe Rogan. Stuff that Rogan talks about. Rogan was not shy. Dove right into it. He wasn't trying to, you know, sugarcoat it or beat it on the bush. They went right into vaccines. So, of course, Rodgers talked about it. He felt comfortable. He knows who he is. No one's more comfortable in their skin than Aaron Rodgers right now. And it's interesting to watch. Um, and I think it's inspiring. Even though I don't agree with everything that Rodgers says, even though I think that Rodgers sniffs his own farts far too much, I still think that to be as comfortable as someone is in their own skin, you know, we all wish we were like that. We all wish we could be as honest as we possibly wanted to be. And Aaron Rodgers is just speaking his truth. And I think he deserves a little more respect and not laughter from the media. And if the media would have actually, you know, tried to work with Rodgers, maybe they would have got the answers they wanted last fall. Moving, sticking with the Green Bay Packers, uh, the 53-man roster is due by Tuesday afternoon. So we will have some reaction stuff. We'll probably do some social, uh, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. The when it happens, then the podcast the next day. Will react to it. I, I almost thought about doing this as its own segment on thir- on Tuesday, but I'm like, even if I get it out Monday night, like it's pretty much stale uh, by like three o'clock. So we'll talk about it here. So Ty Summers already let go. Our national nightmare is over. Uh, Ty Summers was a bad linebacker. Uh, he just wasn't good. I know he was all right at special teams, but I, I think it says a lot about last year's special teams when they've let the top two special teams players go. It's clear that those guys were not at the level of Rich Bisaccia and the Weefence, as Rich likes to call it, which is very football guy of him, uh, Ty Summers does not belong on it. And so they gave Ty Summers a little bit of a chance to you know, start exploring options. And I would imagine Ty Summers would get picked up as people need linebackers, people need special teams help. Summers could fit a role. The other thing of letting Summers out early is they give more opportunities for a guy like Ray Wilborn, who might make the team, might not. He's definitely a guy on the fence, um, and maybe they needed more of a look at Wilborn when it came to special teams to see if Wilborn is going to make one of the last spots in that 53-man roster. I think there are some positional battles that we we don't know how it will shake out. You have Tyler Goodson versus Patrick Taylor, right? Will the Packers, you know, basically sacrifice a guy who can't pass block and a guy who's not necessarily that good on special teams yet for the, the guy that fits those profiles? 
I'm unsure. I think they should. I think Tyler Goodson is a really talented running back. I think there is some potential there. You see it. I don't know if he can be an RB1 next year, but I do think that Tyler Goodson has, you know, not to be punny and not to be like a dad joke, but he has the goods, right? You see it with him. You see him having the ability to be a successful running back. Patrick Taylor, to me, his ceiling is just a good pass blocking running back and a good special teamer, and maybe a guy who can give you 30 to 50 yards if you need it. I don't see Patrick Taylor as an RB1 anywhere. And I think Tyler Goodson has the potential to be that RB1 for some team, whether it's the Packers or someone else, a couple of years down the line. So that to me is why Goodson should stay. You should keep your most talented players. And I think that's what Goodson brings to the table, in my opinion. Could the Packers keep eight wide receivers? I would be stunned. I understand that some people are worried that Samari Torrey will not make the practice squad. That Samari Torrey has put in such a good year that he will not necessarily be part of the practice squad. I think people are worrying a little too much about that. Um, I agree with Aaron Nagler's commentary on that on Thursday. I just, I don't think, you know, the NFL is paying that close attention to Samari Torrey. Unless the Saints or the, I'm trying to think who they played in week one, Niners, excuse me, uh, and or the New Orleans Saints are like, we need a receiver. And this, this Torrey guy looked great and we want to pick him up. I don't know if everybody on NFL rosters or, or NFL scouts are paying attention to a seventh round pick and seeing what he did this training camp. That feels a little bit intense, right? Sometimes I think we are so absorbed in training camp and preseason that these guys become our guys and we're like, oh my God, like we, he can't be on another roster. It's likely that if Torre was waived, he'll probably make the practice squad. I have a very, very hard time to see seven guys, seven guys not make it. I have a hard time seeing Juwan Winfrey not make it. Juwan Winfrey has definitely earned the respect of Aaron Rodgers. So I don't necessarily see Winfrey not making the team. And I certainly don't see Torre, you know, making it with eight guys and or um, not being a part of the practice squad. I can't believe some people think they would release Amari Rodgers. Um, I, Brian Gunacus, while he's a little bit quicker on the trigger than Ted, I think that would be an extreme quick trigger to get rid of Rodgers in week in year two. Uh, he definitely needs at least one more year before it's like, okay, maybe he's a guy that we can't rely on going forward. I mean, I think they pulled the plug on Jamon Moore after three years. I think they pulled the plug on Jay Sternberger after three years. I think let's at least give Amari one more year before we're starting to make those declarations. Also remember, the Packers moved up to get Amari Rodgers. They didn't, so this is a guy that they, they just kind of fell in their lap. They wanted this guy. So I think Amari Rodgers is, is here to stay at least for another year, if not another two years. We'll see about what happens receiver-wise. Could they swing a trade with the with an O-lineman? Could they use an O-lineman in a trade to maybe bolster their tight end room or you know help out their secondary or their safeties? I think they could. They have a lot of O-linemen, right? They have a lot of guys who, even if someone were to get hurt, I think they would be okay with it. Um, so like a guy like Royce Newman, right? Who was started last year. I think Royce is decent. I don't think he's great, but I think you pose it to a team that might need line help and say, hey, we got this guy. He can play either right guard, right tackle. Do you have interest in him? I think there would be a lot of biters. I think you would get a lot of bites because you look 
at what the Packers have when it comes to their offensive line, and they're really set, right? Bakhtiari, Josh Neiman, Rasheed Walker, who was really good in that last in that last uh, preseason game. Like I think Rasheed Walker might have a spot in this team, so that's three. You have John Runyon, that's four. Sean Ryan, definitely not. You know, getting rid of that guy, third round pick last year, that's five. Josh Myers, six. Uh, Michael Minette, who is the backup center, I don't think he'll make the team. Uh, I don't see it for Minette because they have Jake Hansen, who also can play a little bit of center. Jake Hansen definitely making the team. Might be a starter week one. Elton Jenkins, we'll see if he's starting, but no-brainer. Zach Tom, probably a starter. I think they'd release Caleb Jones, even though he's massive. But again, another guy who maybe you could swing a trade for. I just think they have a ton of, of offensive linemen. And I don't know if you really want to move off of a lot of them. I think Rasheed Walker, unlike Torrey, I think Rasheed Walker would be a guy that they'd look at and pick up because he was a seventh-round pick, but the guy, I believe, was a five-star out of high school and just never lived up to the potential at Penn State. And so the Packers have got a lot out of him so far, not surprised with the work that Adam Stenovich does, but Rasheed Walker could be your next Josh Nyman and be a project guy that you work on. But I don't think you can hide him as a practice squad guy. I, I just don't. Um, so we'll see. Maybe they swing a trade. Maybe they just have a lot of linemen. Uh, it'd be great if Caleb Jones could be, you know, a practice squad dude. Um, but I think Jones got beat out by Walker in the last the last game. But we'll have to see if, if that's how the Packers feel. Last couple things. I don't think Jack Heflin is an option to cut. Um, I had a buddy tell me that he's just a body. I disagree with that. I think Heflin's good. Like I, I think I understand that they have a lot of D linemen, but I think Heflin adds to that, right? I think if anything, you'd probably get rid of Jonathan Ford and Chris Slayton and hope both of those guys can find their way on on the practice squad because I look at it and it's like, okay, then you have a solid group of six dudes who you can rotate in and out and keep everybody fresh with Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, Jaron Reed, your obvious starters. Then you have Heflin, you have TJ Slayton, not to be confused with Chris Slayton, and Devontae Wyatt, the first round pick. Like I think you have those guys. And also too, you need to make sure that what if Wyatt you know gets off to a slow start? What if Wyatt is not the guy you expect? That's why you have Heflin there who can kind of step in and make shit happen early on. And then you put a little less pressure on Wyatt, which I think is a good thing. And so I think Heflin is not an option to cut. I think he did a lot in that last preseason game. I think he's done a lot this training camp in general. So I can't cut Heflin. I would be very surprised. That to me would be the one that I'd be the most mad about if I had to like, we did a breakout video and I was like, who would I be the most mad about the Packers getting rid of in the, you know, 53 decision? Heflin, I think is one. I think two would be Rasheed Walker at this point, And I think three would be Torre. Um, no, no, no. Goodson. Goodson, I think is two. Goodson's two. And then Walker's three. And then Torre would be four. Um, so I hope those guys can stay. Um, we'll, we'll have to see what happens when it comes to the roster cuts. Uh, the last, last thing on that is I just, the depth of the corner of the secondary scares me. Um, I really like our guys, you know, with Jair, Amos, Darnell, Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas. Like, that's a fucking very talented uh, group of five guys. It's as talented as you're going to get. I just don't know how I feel about Keshawn Nixon, uh, Shamar Jean Charles, Rico Gafford. We'll see if he makes the team. Sean Davis, Ennis Gaines. Like, again, some of these guys might not make the team, but like, 
just kind of falls off a little bit. And that's where I really look. And we talked about the old line trade. Like, that's where I would try to see if I could flip a Royce Newman for, like, the fourth corner on a team who might have a corner that they're willing to get released, has some special teams experience, can play on the field, and then you have sort of a little bit of safety if one of those guys goes down. I do also understand that the Green Bay Packers could basically opt out of the 3-3-5 approach and look at you know somebody else, right? Um, oh, actually, it's a Nickelback. They don't have a 3-3-5. I apologize. Our lads, who I use all the time for depth charts, they're great. Uh, and they have a extra with a Nickelback with D- Douglas and Nixon. Uh, but those technically aren't on the field. But I think you'd, you'd see a lot of 3-3-5 from the Green Bay Packers to get Alexander, Douglas, and Stokes all on the field and to combat with you know three wide sets. So I won't be surprised when you see that 3-3-5 offense out on the field and if that's the case you know making sure that you're protected and yeah i guess if douglas were to go down or if stokes were to go down you just insert the other guy and then you play less of that and you just sort of play more more in your straight up and your base three four so we'll see what happens with the packer 53 man roster like i said we'll talk more about that on wednesday uh after the decisions are made before we talk about the milwaukee brewers just want to remind everybody you can find us on Apple and Spotify. Make sure that you're subscribed there. Uh, if you're not subscribed, uh, make sure that you're rating and reviewing. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Um, it means a lot to us. Also, share share it out. Just tell your friends, hey, this is what we have going on. I think it's a little bit different. Uh, I know WSSP uh, recently departed. People still looking for that new station or they're not satisfied with the options that local radio are providing them. We're here for them. I'd like to say that we're ready to go every morning, sometimes more than others. Uh, we got to probably readdress, you know, doing Sunday Sundays because I was like, oh, I'll watch the House of Dragon and not do the podcast and whatever. Uh, that was probably a bad decision, you know, but, but we fuck up. Uh, I can admit I'm wrong, unlike the media as we talked about earlier. But yes, make sure that you're, you're checking us out on Apple or Spotify. We'd really appreciate it. All right, let's talk Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers had a good weekend after a rough start. Uh, They had two very strong games on Saturday as well as Sunday, uh, putting up a combined 16 runs. Uh, The Brewers shut out the Cubs on Saturday with a 7-0 victory, and then they beat the Cubs 9-7 in a game that looked a lot closer than it was. The Brewers had led 9-4, and they just kind of couldn't close the door. Whether it was Hobie Milner or Brad Boxberger, uh, it led to Devin Williams having to make an appearance, which honestly not the worst thing in the world. Uh, to have Devin out there just to keep him fresh. I'm way okay with that. I think he only pitched like 11 pitches at most because he was able to get Contreras into a double double play. The big headline, though, from the weekend is that Christian Yelich found his power stroke. Uh, he had two home runs. He also went uh, four for five on Saturday. I think he went three for five on Sunday. Yelich is feeling really good. Now, we've been here before. There was a podcast I did, I think back in May, when Yelich started to look like he was getting hot. And I was like, all right, well, let's temper our expectations. And the thing about getting a guy hot again is like you just yearn for it. You just want it so bad. And for me, I just want to prove everybody wrong, right? Like I've been on Christian Yelich Island that this guy is going to figure it out at some point and that's going to finally come together. And if Christian Yelich plays at an MVP level for September, the Milwaukee Brewers could still win the division. We'll put a pin in that because I want to talk about the Cardinals later. But like they could still you know, make a significant case. If not win the division, push 
their way to the top and maybe get to the five seed. Although I could make a very good argument that the Brewers shouldn't be a five seed. That the Brewers really should aim for that six seed despite how well the Cardinals are playing. So Yelich being hot is a huge step forward, but we obviously have to see it in a condensed, you know, more games, right? We need to see it in the Pittsburgh series. We need to see it in the Arizona series. We need to see it in the Colorado series. Like this needs to be a sustained hot streak. This can't just be one series. We need to see Yelich showing up for multiple series. Now I realize expectations for Yelich are sky high, that there are going to be some games where Yelich goes five, one for five. Okay. Like I get that. All right. I'm not, I'm not expecting Yelich to have three hits every game. But if you have multi-hit nights from Yelich regularly, you know, two out of every three, man, you're going to be a really tough baseball team to beat. And it's really awesome to see the Brewers offense, you know, kind of awaken, right? I'm not saying that they were dead. Uh, You know, they put up some runs against the Dodgers on Wednesday night, even though it was a blowout. They still, you know, got their runs in their own right. Um, They also put up some runs. No, they didn't. They only scored one on Tuesday. I was like, well, but no, they didn't. So they've they've been a little bit productive offensively. The pitching just hasn't been there, and the offense you know looked really good this weekend. And you hope that they can you know keep that up this week. You know, and a Pittsburgh team that has not been good in the second half, unlike the Cubs, who the Cubs have been pretty strong in the second half. The Pirates have not been. Uh, they did win yesterday against the Philadelphia Phillies, but the Pirates have not been have not been a strong baseball team in the second half. They've really struggled. So this is a great team to take advantage of. Also, they called up Garrett Mitchell. Uh, Garrett Mitchell was definitely a spark for this team. Uh, I think what Garrett Mitchell was able to bring was really exciting. You know, a young guy who just wants to make a moment. And he did. He got his first start on Sunday. He had a base hit through the middle that drove in two runs. Then you had the Yelich home run that followed with Garrett Mitchell uh, first hit in the big leagues. It's awesome to see. I hope he's going to get some more opportunities. Uh, Him being a lefty, I would imagine you'll see him one or two starts against Pittsburgh this week. There's all righties, at least for now. Uh, Pittsburgh's undecided on who they're pitching tonight against Corbin Burns. But I I do think you're going to see Garrett Mitchell more uh, in this lineup. And if he continues to provide, continues to show maybe a little bit different than what Tyrone Taylor is giving out, I think I'm all in on the idea of more Mitchell playing time. And yes, it's something that the Brewers, you know, needed. They needed some of that young energy to sort of get them going and feeling good good again. And I think the Brewers' social media did a great job in leaning into building up the Garrett Mitchell story. And I think they deserve credit for that. We talked about that on the podcast last week about attendance issues and what are certain things that you can do to bring people back in the ballpark. Using social media as a vehicle to sort of tell Garrett Mitchell's story, I think it's great. I think they did a good job of that, so credit to them. Uh, speaking of pitching, I mentioned Burns. You know, pitching was really good uh, Friday and Saturday. I mean, Fred Peralta had a no-hitter going through six innings, and then everything went off the rails, and we'll talk about Friday here in a second. And then Saturday, Brandon Woodruff, I, at some point I thought Brandon Woodruff was going to set the strikeout record for a single game. I mean, he was completely in his bag. A really strong stuff from Woodruff, who continues to be a rock-solid American family field pitcher. Um, Woodruff also didn't have the sort of whoops that he's had the last couple of games where he gives up home runs right before he exits. Uh, that was just a all-in-all solid start from Brandon Woodruff. And definitely one that the Brewers needed. And the Brewers needed what Freddie put out. I mean, 
you can't be it, even though Friday was a complete disaster, and I want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Freddie was so special, and the fact that you're getting that from Freddie Peralta again, you add that to the mix of all right, if you get a hot Christian Yelich, Woodruff's looked good. Uh, Peralta now has seemingly took his game to another level. If the Burns thing against the Dodgers was just a blip and not necessarily what Corbin Burns is for the rest of the way, you're really set. You that is what you hope for at the start of the season from these three guys, and that's what you're going to get hopefully for the remainder of the year. Uh, as for Friday night, like I said, I was there. It's lucky we didn't have a podcast the next day because I would have just ripped into the Brewers. I probably should have. I think if I, they did this full time, I think I would have done a podcast on Saturday just talking about how I felt after that game. I, to me, it was one of the worst losses I've ever witnessed. No team, right? I was like, is this worse than the Packer Niners game? And I was like, yeah, it's a little dramatic. But it seriously was awful, right? Like, I am sitting in my seat. I never leave my seat, which is weird. And I usually get up once to get a beer, to take a pee, to, you know, get some nuts. Um, my, my guy, Fant, bless his heart. I wanted the heavenly roasted nuts. And I was like, hey, just give me some beer and nuts uh, when you get up next. And he got me peanuts. I, now, did I eat the peanuts? Yes, of course I did. But I wanted the heavenly roasted. I had, didn't have the heart to tell him. Um, and I, I was like, you know, it's the thought that counts there. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I did get up. Uh, and part of it was because Freddie was pitching a no-hitter. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to miss any part of a no-hitter. If you have a no-hitter going, like, I am locked in here. And then Matt Bush comes in in the seventh, and that was such a bad decision by Craig Council. I understand what he was trying to do and protect Freddie, but he should have at least looked under the hood in the seventh. He should have at least given Freddie one more shot to see if he could lock it down. Um, and then he gives up the home run to Ian Happ. And then Ian Happ hits another home run off Devin Williams in the 10th inning. And he is the only offense for the Cubs, but that is all they needed. Uh, it was gut-wrenching, but for the Brewers to get off the map after probably their worst loss of the year, honestly, on Friday, and to win two games kind of in dominating fashion, I think says a lot about the team. It says a lot about where the team is. And I thought Brett Suter's comments were really interesting about you know putting the pop shot in the clubhouse and that guys were doing that and talking to one another and not on their phones and being more engaged and I've been hard on Brett Suter I think that he gets a lot of love from the media because he talks to the media all the time so I think they're not as hard they don't come down on Brent Suter uh, like some other players like an Aaron Rodgers for example but I think I gotta give Brett Suter credit because I think he's done a lot to try to bring these guys together and he's been a leader in that clubhouse to try to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that they are actually teammates. They don't have to be friends, but they're teammates. And Suter's done a great job with that. And I can't I can't be critical of it. I wish he pitched a little bit better, but I, I have to give Brett Suter a lot of credit for that because that's the type of shit that could bring this team together at the very right time. So we'll see if that's the case. Two and one's a really good start in this stretch of 13 where the Brewers absolutely need to go like a 9-4 and four or 10-3. and three. Um, So they just need to keep winning series. Pittsburgh's up next. Win that one. Then you're at least 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one heading out to the mountains. And I'd feel, I'd feel pretty damn good about that. As for the Cardinals, man, I, I just don't know. I don't know if we're going to catch the Cardinals. Uh, we have four games against them, which you might need to win all of them with the way they have their schedule, right? They were able to beat the Braves two out of three. 
uh, this weekend, which, I mean, it's great. I mean, that's great confidence for the St. Louis Cardinals. It's not great for us, but it's great for them. I mean, the Braves are a very good baseball team, and the the Cardinals were able to beat them twice. Now they get the Cincinnati Reds this week, and they get the Chicago Cubs over the weekend, and then they get the Washington Nationals. So there's no room for error, unfortunately, for the Brewers. And you're probably thinking more about the wild card. I do probably want to do a segment, maybe we'll do it tomorrow, on why the sixth seed I think is more important than the five seed. So we'll talk about that. Uh, let's save that for tomorrow. I think that's a really good topic. Uh, we'll, we'll bring us into tomorrow with that and talk about Brewers Pirates on Monday night. All right, long show, so I won't do too much on the weekend. Uh, just, I got to say, uh, Central Standard Distillery, man, that to me is the spot uh, in the summer. If you're talking about like spots of the summer, Central Distillery was there. Uh, we were there after an anniversary dinner. Uh, my wife and I celebrated one year of marriage on Sunday, but we did the dinner on Saturday. And yeah, it was rocking. Uh, that place, very popular uh, with, you know, sort of my my age, right? You know, 30 to 40 year olds, maybe a little younger as well. Uh, some bachelorette parties, some birthday parties. Someone rented out the rooftop, so I, which had to be, a ton of fucking money. Like I couldn't, I can't even imagine how much money it would cost you to rent out that rooftop. But somebody did it, uh, so good for good for them, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it was a great spot. I really, I, I enjoy it. Um, but I, I'm happy for them that they have such a good place. Definitely may want to pick up some whiskey or vodka before I depart from the city. Also made it to Joe Cats. Unretired from Joe Cats on on Friday. You might saw my tweet. Loud outside. Apologize for that. Don't know what the hell's going on. Got some deliveries, I guess. Um, and saw Jeff Jenkins there. Of all people, uh, Jeff Jenkins was there. Uh, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I was just like, oh shit, it's Jeff Jenkins. Uh, of course, Joe Cats let him upstairs. Uh, Jeff just hunting for some some young girls, maybe. I don't know if he's married. Uh, so hopefully, I didn't blow up his spot. But yeah, Jeff Jenkins sighting at Cats. I also got chopsticks for the last time in my life. Um, I don't know if I've ever told the story about chopsticks but chopsticks used to be a staple of my late night activity i get chinese food uh all the time and it was so good and it was so unhealthy for me but it was something that i just absolutely adored and so i pulled the trigger and got chopsticks on friday night it's pretty drunk my wife wasn't home um and she listens to this she's gonna be very upset but uh you know it's like one of those things that i just had to do one more time just had to have that ride that high, and then I can put it to bed. So I'm putting chopsticks to bed. Uh, it was good. I don't think I ate it all. I think I ate, uh, a, I would say a majority of it. I I didn't do what I typically did as a youngster. I forgot about my old hockey trick where it's you eat all the meat first, and then you eat some of the, you eat the rice after it. That was kind of the move. I didn't do that this time around. I fucked up. I also got crab rangoons because, I mean, come on, you, you have to. But yeah, this is probably my last chopsticks experience. I will stick to the suburban Chinese food going forward, uh, starting in about half a month. All right, that does it for today's show. Um, hope you guys enjoy. Uh, like I said, make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you follow us on social. Tapping the keg, tapping the keg sports on Instagram as well as TikTok. All right, take care. We'll be back tomorrow with another daily tap. We got more things coming this week some maybe special announcements. Um, So stay tuned for that. All right, see you guys. Bye.